I'm really glad to be here. My, um, my, my home church is Calvary Chapel, Bangor, Maine. Um, you guys remember our pastor has this. And uh, I've been in Kenya for the last 11 years. We have a church out there, Calvary Chapel, Eldoret. And I'll share about that this afternoon. But let's just get right into it. Galatians chapter 2. Hold your place there where I kind of give an introduction, I suppose. The, my heart this morning is to kind of use this, though we'll do a semi-exposition of part of this chapter, to use this as a springboard and of the subject of really a call to action, being a man who, who is a man of action. So important that we do act on the truths that we know um, if, if we don't act as men, then it will cause shame and, and guilt to, to heap upon us, even if we're not in overt sin. Years ago, I um, was, uh, before I went to Africa in 2010, I was up in Maine. We were, I was a part of the CRD program, whom I've seen many of you guys are, are from, uh, from the CRD program who've been there in Maine. It's like New Jersey is the pool of collecting guys from the CRD program and Philly. It's true. And so, so many of you guys have been there. I was there and, uh, you know, life. I was on heroin from the age of 14. Uh, got saved when I was 21. Went to Teen Challenge. Uh, completed that program, then went to Maine. And after the, the program was complete, you know, you live this life and, and none of it's normal, all the way from being 14 years old, being on heroin, to getting saved at 21, going into a men's program where you have to live with 150 guys. Even if you are born again, it's terrible. And it's kind of a bittersweet thing. It's wonderful in many ways. But then I completed that, went to the school of ministry um, where my home church is now, and, and I had completed that. And I remember I was, on, I was on a rock just praying out in Maine. I was just on this rock and kind of a fear crept over me. And the fear was, um, now that I'm done with all these stages, what is my calling, number one? I wanted to know that. And, and, and more the fear was, what am I going to do? Because if I go back to a man who doesn't act on behalf of Christ... I will personally, and, and each person goes to their own thing, I will personally go li- back to a life of drugs and alcohol. I will go back to that life. And something that has really been on my heart for years, and I've been trying to figure out a way that I could articulate this, and, and it's still developing, is what really causes men to backslide? What causes men to backslide? I think many things, but... More than just desiring pleasure, more than just desiring some sort of idol, which an idol is not just the breaking of the divine rules, but an idol can be having the number one thing come to the second or third thing in your your life. Um, When good things become the number one thing, that is idolatry. Even more than that, what I... What I believe causes men to backslide, whether you have a background in drugs or whatever it is your vice, is not behaving in a way 
that would walk in the will of God in action. Men are called to action. I read a book years ago. It was called Christ the Controversialist by John Stott. If you've not read the book, read it. A man who was not controversial, and I don't mean in a disrespectful way, in an unloving way, in an untactful way, but a person who is not confronting the world with truth is a man who was not acting on behalf of the God who was living inside of him. We have terms for this. Quenching the Holy Spirit would be one. And when you do that, you heap shame on yourself. We heap shame on ourselves. So I was sitting on that rock just praying. I was in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, though it wasn't the topic of the passage, which it's really talking about money in 2 Corinthians 9 in, in most ways, but it can be pl- applied in a bigger way. He who sows sparingly will reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will reap bountifully. And it just hit me. It's like, I, I got to go do something. I, gotta, I have to go share Christ with people. I know that if I, and I think a lot, a lot of the cases, ministers and pastors and teachers of the word are the weakest people amongst us. You guys who go out in everyday living, working a job in the secular world, I, I, I don't know if I could do it. You have to be real strong to the, you have to have a resolve within you to get up every single day and know that your mission isn't predominantly to bring home a paycheck. Your mission is predominantly to go out and work hard, yes, but to share Christ with your colleagues. That is your mission. That is the greatest mission field. It, It is the number one way of evangelism, in the world is that is people in their vocations going out. You heard about the uh, Chinese government, the early 1900s, they were trying to just disperse Christians. So they uprooted every Christian man from his home and they spread him out strategically in China and um, made him all the the mailmen. What an oversight by Satan. So they shared the gospel with everyone they were, they were going around, all these homes, and it, it began one of the biggest revivals of the last 150 years, over 100 million Chinese people getting born again in 50 years. We are called to go out, we're called to be a man, men of action. Helen Keller, not a man, but Helen Keller, born June 27, 1880 in Alabama, an American author, an educator who was blind and deaf, deaf. Her education and training represent an extraordinary accomplishment in the education of persons with disabilities, specifically um, blindness and deafness. She was uh, afflicted with this uh, because of scarlet fever when she was just 19 months old. Alexander Graham Bell examined her at the age of six, and as a result, he sent her to a 20-year-old teacher named Ann Sullivan. Within months, Keller had learned to feel objects and associate them with words spelled out by finger signals on the palm of her hand. She began to learn sentences by feeling raised words on cardboard and to make her own sentences by arranging words in frame. At six years old, she began to learn this. She is an amazing study. She lived like a wild animal the first six years of her life, screaming and terrible, 
terrible fits of rage until somebody acted and came and ministered to her and educated her. She was nominated for the Nobel Peace Prize. Mark Twain regularly enjoyed her company and spoke as her as one of the greatest people or the most filled with wisdom that he had ever met. She said this, Security is mostly a superstition. It does not exist in nature, nor do the children of men as a whole experience it. Avoiding danger is no safer in the long run than outright exposure. Life is either a daring adventure or nothing at all. And she's a woman. Life is a daring adventure or nothing at all. I remember right before I moved to Africa, I was Googling my pastor. Isn't that weird? You ever type in your pastor's name? See what comes up? It came up a YouTube sermon, and um, uh, it was The Race Requires Endurance. He had preached in 2005 at the Anaheim Stadium at Chuck Smith's men's conference. And he taught about real adventure and victory in contrast to virtual victory and adventure. How we have been born into a world, men, where we prefer, in many cases, and maybe some of this of us in this room, we prefer virtual victory over real victory. Virtual sex over real sex. I mean, you 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 get on these games. I I I'm not much of a gamer. I'm not condemning all those who who, who game. That's not my you know what I'm saying. I mean, you are a loser, but that's not what I'm saying. <laughs> But I, I, I went to, I traveled to Nairobi. I had to go to the embassy, the American embassy, do some paperwork. And I went to a friend's house. And this, this kid who was on a missionary trip, he was like 21 years old. He said, you want to play Call of Duty? I'm like, what's Call of Duty? It's like it's a video game. It's like, I guess, sure. So we started playing this video game. He had killed me a hundred times and I hadn't killed him once. It's like he was the greatest sniper of all time on a video game. And I looked over at him and said, hey, Patrick, I am not impressed with you. I know how much you have devoted your time to this video game. Nobody's this good who hasn't devoted several decades of your life. And, and I listened to that message, and it really stirred me to go to Africa where a lot of adventure is waiting for young men who want to preach the gospel. Adventure is our call, not safety. You know, we hear this, um, I mean, you, it's nauseating. Safety and safety and safety. Keep safe. Keep safe. I, mean, I was leaving a store yesterday. It was, uh, what store was it? It was, uh, it was the, uh, the car rental place. This lady had already yelled at me for not wearing a mask. <laughs> and then, you know, I, I don't want to be rude, so I'm trying to win her heart a little bit. And, and as I'm leaving after I get to Keisha, she's like, and remember to stay safe. What? I mean, if you, if you want to minimize a man, manhood at all, just tell him to stay safe all the time. What an anti-man message to stay safe. And yet, so many of us have bought into this that probably the world's message and, 
and, and certainly we've bought into this is the highest priority in life is to keep safe. That is not our call. That is not the highest goal in our life to stay safe. I mean, imagine telling say, uh, Paul when he's going to, to be stoned, hey, stay safe, brother. I heard this, it's a magazine, a little portion of a magazine article in the 1960s, Look Magazine, listen to this. Dehumanization is a patent fact of life. Loneliness increases as the machine symbolized by the computer takes over America. Week by week decreases human contacts, automatic elevators, drive-in banking without visible human tellers. Television check-in at motels, recorded voices voices on the telephone ensuing commands and advice from the ceiling or the walls. Television lectures to huge classrooms at universities. My own pessimism is linked to the machine's relentless march across the land, mutilating the green hills, paving the valleys, fouling the sweet air, contaminating the waters, and forcing people to spend their working hours um, attending to the contrivances that are supposed to serve us. But with these two loud sirens, they give us something in return, convenience and comfort. And with these two things, a nation's soul is being lost. Convenience and comfort. Men are not called to convenience and comfort. And yet, so many of men, so so much of us, it's all about comfortable. Whatever makes us uncomfortable, we avoid I am personally terrified of becoming a man who sits there talking about Fox News and everything going wrong and doing nothing about it. I mean, we, we all, we all, we've all done it the last couple of years, haven't we? And that's also nauseating. You sit there and you just rant for like an hour. It's like, can you believe these people? <laughs> ah, you know. It doesn't even make sense. I don't even know. You know what doesn't make sense lately? Us trying to make sense of it. Us trying to make sense of their insanity makes no sense. It's insane. And yet, I mean, I'm with you guys. It's crazy. I'm, not, I'm just saying that I don't want to be that guy who wasted 30 years and he's there. I, I was um, in California. Me and John went over to, um, to get some food and we, we were at this driving range in California. And I heard this guy over there. He was just ranting. He was drinking some beer. Just ranting about the government. I bet that guy does nothing on behalf of the gospel. Nothing. He will sit there his whole life and be reduced to a crust of bread. I'm terrified of becoming that man. I don't want to be that man. More than being upset all the time, which I am upset, I am angry, I see the world that we live in as a great potential of ministering to people who are desperate and lonely. Have you noticed the desperation in people's eyes this last two years? I walk in gas stations. It looks like the gas gas station attendant is going to kill himself way more than they did three years ago. He's just like, man, are you you okay? Is is everything good? Because... I can't tell you, just asking that one question to several people, just strangers, how many of them have said, you know, I'm not doing okay. 
and told me something that's wrong with her life. Japan in the last two years has had more suicides than all the COVID deaths worldwide put together. The world is completely isolated and lonely and desperate and our highest call is to make Christ known. Let me read to you here in, in, in Galatians our portion this morning. Galatians 2, 11 through the end of the chapter. Paul says, Now when Peter had come to Antioch, I withstood him to his face because he was to be blamed. For before certain men came from James, he would eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing those who were of the circumcision. And the rest of the Jews also played the hypocrite with him, so that even Barnabas was carried away with their hypocrisy. But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter before them all, if you being a Jew live in the manner of the Gentiles and not as the Jews, why do you compel Gentiles to live as Jews who were of Jews by nature and not sinners of the Gentiles? Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Christ Jesus that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. For by the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. But if we, while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves also are found sinners, is Christ therefore a minister of sin? Certainly not. For if I build again those things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor, For I through the law died to the law that I might live to God. And then this famous verse, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. The Apostle Paul, he acts. He is a man of action. We learn, and we'll talk about at the end of this message, that he doesn't act on behalf of the truth because he has some sort of inner strength in and of himself, but because Christ is in him, he must behave like Christ, act like Christ, And he can act like Christ because he has the strength of Christ in him. And he sees this incredible violation of truth, this incredible offense against the gospel by none other than Peter himself, the apostle, the great apostle, fearing the Jews. We are called to action. That is this message. Action And when we don't act as men, we will heap shame on ourselves. When we don't act on behalf of Christ, we are in the process of heaping shame on our soul because we violate the image of God in us. Christ is a man of action, so we must be men of action to fulfill the very call of God in and through our lives. Men are... You have probably, you have brothers or good friends that you know who who aren't following Christ. We've seen 
So many men come into the CRD program. And you guys have seen that here in Philly. Come into programs, leave. In the program, they did wonderful. Wonderful. They did great. And it's not some false thing like they like every single one of them are being the hypocrite. They did wonderful. They're, they're worshiping the Lord at church. They're in the Bible studies. They're studying the Bible themselves. And then it's time to release them. They got to get into the world, not being of the world, but they must be in the world and they must share Christ with people. I don't think the number one reason when they get out and after getting out, they fail because of pleasure seeking. You guys who have a past and addiction know what I'm talking about. When you were in your uh, addiction, whether it be heroin or pornography, whatever it was, you genuinely had a desire to quit, or I did. I want to quit. I remember I, I wanted to quit so bad. When I was 19 years old, I said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to drive to Arkansas, and I'm going to live with some brothers there. So I, I, I you know just crazy, dumb heroin brain. It's like, I'm going to bring some heroin with me, but, you know, when it's gone, it's gone. And so I go, and, and, I, and I went into the, a gas station to, to do the thing, put the heroin next to the toilet, did, and then drove off forgetting to, the rest of it. I drove four hours down the road. I was trying to quit heroin. I drove back as soon as I realized it wasn't there anymore. At like 100 miles an hour, as fast as that old beater would go. I wanted to quit. I didn't have the strength to. I didn't not only have the strength to, I didn't have the call of God on my life to be the man he had called me to be. I don't think I would just, these men just fail when they get out because of pleasure seeking. I think when they remain inactive and the truth that they know that it heaps even more shame on them than the shame of sexual immorality and the shame of drug abuse. And that's why men fail predominantly. You guys get what I mean by that? That is a profound reality. It's even deeper than just wanting to get high. I visited my brother Chris, a few, excuse me, one of my brothers, he's not Chris, a different brother, in Arkansas a a few months ago. He's a believer in Jesus Christ. He loves the Lord, he really does. And as of late, he has repented over a 20-year addiction to pornography. A 20-year idol. And though he has repented, he's been clean of that for uh, a a couple years, his eyes are even clearer, his his speech is better, he's in the Word all the time. We had actually koinonia, we had fellowship. Shame has has held him down when we're talking about things he's you know josh i'm not doing that but how can i ever go serve god after 20 years of bringing shame to him when i when i left um i just text messaged him when we were driving a few hours back to uh, a different church i text messaged i said you're a man of god simple as that that's all you're a man of god He's like, I'm the shortest person in my family. I know that's hard to believe, but I am. And all my brothers are really big guys. And he's a big guy. He's a construction guy. He's a tough guy. You know, those guys, when you shake their hands, just like, (laughs) don't want to fight this guy. He's that guy. He's not a crier. He called me. 
Like five hours later, he says, when you sent me that text message, I wept for an hour with my wife. He says, nobody has ever told me I'm a man of God. They have only focused on my failures. And I told my brother. I said, Rick, stop treating forgiveness as if it's something to be earned, but it is something to be received. And walk in the truth you know. You are qualified to act and to share Christ with people because Christ qualified you, not because you qualified yourself. Let me put it this way. Christ did not die, or the Father is not gracious toward you because Christ died on the cross for you. Christ died on the cross for you because the Father was already gracious to you. For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only Son. Paul is a man of action because of Christ, not because of how awesome Paul is. And he sees this discrepancy. Here in Galatians 2, let me give you a few things just to to talk about how we are to confront this world, whether it be a brother in Christ or somebody who's not a believer in all, we still confront with the truth of the gospel. He did it in person, number one. He, rebu- he rebuked with truth, number two. He spoke the truth with clarity, number three. He re- his rebuke was not petty. It was not a like a worship team preference. It's like, you know, I, I wish you would do more hymns, you know. Benjamin Franklin likes hymns. I'd put a little more money in the offering if you did it. It, it wasn't a petty confrontation. And this public sin needed a public rebuke. Augustine said, it is not advantageous to correct in secret an error that was done publicly. You see all these different principles of, 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 of confronting somebody. Notice that he spoke the truth with clarity. When he comes in, he speaks clear. He says to, he says to Peter, he said, Peter, if you being a Jew live in the manner of Gentiles and not as the Jews, why do you compel Gentiles to live as Jews who are Jews by nature, not sinners of the Gentiles, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ? If we have believed in Christ, that we might be justified by faith in Christ, not by works of the law. It's a brilliant thing that Paul's doing. He's, He's coming to Peter publicly, confronting, filled with courage, And he says to Peter, hey, hey Peter, did you being a Jew, in all of your law keeping, great, you don't go into temples uh, filled with sexual morality and, and have sex with prostitutes. You don't eat meat offered to idols or you didn't before. You were circumcised. You are not a sinner like the Gentiles. Us Jewish people have practiced trying to be right with God, the true God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And and what Paul is telling Peter is that has brought you no closer to being saved than it brought the Gentiles in all of their wickedness. It has brought you no closer to being saved. So why are you compelling the Gentiles to be like the Jews in circumcision when your circumcision availed you nothing in your relationship and in your salvation. That's what he's saying to him. It's, it's incredibly clear. It's incredibly profound and yet very simple. Like John Wesley said, the best sermons of all are those preached simply and yet are filled 
with sublimity. They're profound, yet everyone can understand them. He spoke with clarity. It was not petty. Now let me get into a few things. I think I got five, six points here. Number one, giving into fear can turn men into compromised men. Giving into fear can turn men into compromised men. You notice in verse 12, for before certain men came from James, he would eat, that's Peter, with the Gentiles. But when they came, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing those who were of the circumcision. You notice a lot of the songs that we write lately or that the Christian world, though some of them are a little too feminine, still a lot of the songs that we are singing nowadays are about us not being afraid. I'm no longer a slave to fear. I mean, you hear this this common theme in a lot of the worship music that that has been written this last three to five years. And, And I think there is some legitimacy to that because... What we receive from the world, from news and all these uh, um, authoritative sources like government and uh, like Hollywood and all the, all the different influences upon society, it's just a constant fear. Be afraid. I mean, especially the last. Has anybody went to shake somebody's hand? They jump back like you're a leper? It's incredible, the fear. Even grown men. Now, any guy who says he's not afraid of anything is a liar. Peter obviously is afraid of those whom supposedly were sent by James, though I doubt James sent to bring this kind of division in the gospel. They, 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 they represent the church in Jerusalem, which is this prestigious church, kind of like Calvary Philly for Calvary Chapel. It's like, I've, I don't know if I, who was it said, hey, don't embarrass us whenever I came up on stage. Like, I would ever do that. <laughs> I'm completely tactful all the time. Don't, what's Peter afraid of? To lose his position as an apostle? Nobody gave him that position except God, and nobody can take it from him except God. What's he afraid of? He feared to the point of walking away from the truth of the gospel in this very moment. Fear will turn you into a compromised man. Fearing what men may think of you over and above sharing the truth of the gospel. Fearing being a man pleaser instead of a God pleaser, living for the audience of the world instead of living for the audience of one person whom we should live for the audience of one and that is God alone. I knew there was some southern person in here. Thank you. (laughs) Preach it. Fearing the Jews. Peter had known that God did not require the Gentiles to come under the law of Moses. In Acts 10.23, the vision from God. In Acts 10.44, the pouring out of the Holy Spirit on the Gentiles. In Acts 11, agreeing with the leaders in the church that the gospel is for the Gentiles and they were not required to perform circumcision. He knew all this already and yet in this moment... 
he walks away from the truth that he knows. I also have this, I don't know if it's a fear, a deep concern that I may walk away in the moment that God gives me an opportunity to stand for him, I don't stand for him. Does anybody ever have that thought, especially the times we live in? And if you're not faithful in the little things, don't think you're going to be faithful when a gun's held to your head. I know that when that moment comes, I have had to won thousands of little battles before I can win that big battle of representing Christ the way he deserves to be represented in my life. If you can't share the gospel at work, I don't even care if you got a union job and you're sharing it with an Irish mobster because you fear them, then you will not represent Christ well in the future. Did Peter forget while he was with Jesus that Jesus ate with publicans and sinners constantly? I mean, this is like one of the like most controversial parts of Jesus' life and ministry on earth. The Pharisees would come up all the time and say, hey, how dare you eat with publicans and sinners? How dare you touch this person who is presumed a prostitute? How dare you defile yourself as a rabbi with the Gentile people. And Peter was there. He witnessed it. He saw it. And yet, he forgot it in this moment because of the fear of whatever it may have been, losing his position, the fear of being gossiped or slandered. He acted out of fear and against what he knew was true because of it. Peter perhaps felt if the members of the embassy went back and told the Jerusalem church that he was with the Gentiles, it would compromise his position in leading the church. Within this point of giving into fear turns men into compromised men, it teaches us something about our Christian life. It teaches us that we need a fresh and constant filling of the Holy Spirit on a daily basis. I mean, Peter, in the Gospel of John, after Jesus rises from the dead, he breathes into him the breath of life, born again for sure. It's not like he got born again on, on Pentecost. And then on Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes upon them, not just in them, but comes upon them that they may be witnesses, which is the greatest call to action, by the way. That's the point of this message. You are called to be a witness for Christ. And, and the Holy Spirit comes upon him and he gives this glorious preaching, this glorious message. And then all of the sudden, however many years later, he's compromising on this day. And I don't want to be too hard on Peter. We do the same thing. This tells me that Peter, the apostle, the great evangelist and preacher who brought 3,000 souls through the power of the Holy Spirit on that day of Pentecost needs a fresh filling every single day. And if he does, I certainly do. So the question is, how do we get a fresh filling on a daily basis? How do we get the Holy Spirit to fall upon us every single day that we may be the witnesses and not compromise out of fear in the day that we are called to rise up and represent Christ well. 
The, the answer to that question is very simple. You ask the Father each and every morning for him to pour out the Holy Spirit on you, and he will do it. You don't have to do 800 jumping jacks and crawl upstairs that are bro- with broken glass and whip yourself like Martin Luther did. You simply ask the Father and he will give you the Holy Spirit. You know how I know that? Because in the Gospel of Luke, the Bible says that uh, if we being evil know how to give good gifts to our children, how much more will the Father give us the Holy Spirit for those who ask? I don't have to have this emotional high every single time. In fact, I generally never get it. But nevertheless, if I go one day without rolling out of bed and say, oh God, please fill me with your Holy Spirit. May your Holy Spirit come upon me. Then that may be the day that I compromise just like Peter. I don't think he did his devotions this morning. I was just, um, um, Pastor Mike just prayed for me when I came up. He's like, he lays hands on me. He's like, oh, Lord, have mercy on this man, a sinner, going up so undeserving to preach your word. I'm like, gosh, I would be offended if I didn't know that was true. (laughs) And how dare we approach any type of ministry in our life with uh, uh, any other attitude than that? I need you so desperately. I am so unqualified to enter the workplace or enter the pulpit or enter this marriage or enter fatherhood without the filling of your Holy Spirit. I don't think Peter did his devotions that morning. Maybe it would have been a different day. But that teaches us right there within his compromise because of fear, he needed a fresh filling. Number two point The sins of teachers are the teachers of sins. Verse 13. And the rest of the Jews also played the hypocrite with him so that even Barnabas was carried away with their hypocrisy. So this doesn't just affect Peter and his walk with the Lord because he skipped his devotions probably. Barnabas and the others with him, not just Barnabas who's a giant in the Christian faith walks away from the truth of the gospel in this moment. Barnabas was Paul's trusted friend and associate. Barnabas stood beside Paul when he first met the apostles in Acts 9. Barnabas sought out Paul and brought him to Antioch to help with the ministry there, Acts 11. It says of Barnabas that he was a good man filled and full with the Holy Spirit and faith. And yet Barnabas probably skipped his devotions that morning too. In other words, what what happens here, and please, please listen to this closely, Peter altered people's perception of truth by his actions. Peter altered the perception of truth by his actions. What a convicting statement when it comes to fatherhood. Have you guys ever noticed? I don't even know what time I'm supposed to end. I'm going to go for it. No, I'm sorry. I won't. You ever notice when you become a father how much you influence your children? At times, because I I love to laugh and stuff, not coarse, but I'll go away possibly too far and I'll look down and my son will be with his friends repeating what I said. 
don't say that. And he goes, well, you said it. When did I say that? I would never. I did say it. They're looking to us, and not only our children, those whom you influence around you, do you know you can alter the very perception in their mind of truth by your actions, either for good or for bad? The sins of teachers are the teachers of sins. Number three, gospel issues are always worth fighting for. Gospel issues are always worth. Peter, or Paul says, when I saw that they were not walking straightforward, straightforward is where we get our, our word orthopedics. Straightforward in the gospel I spoke out. When they were not walking straightforward in the gospel. I know that most of us aren't called to preach from the pulpit, but you can preach the gospel wherever you go in this life. There is a lot of nonsense out there. Be ready in season and out of season to give a defense and an answer of the truth that you know and the truth that you learn each and every week at your respective churches. Gospel issues are always worth fighting for. At the foundation, this was not a debate in the seating arrangement. But at the foundation, in this moment, this was a debate on the validity and truth of the gospel and that every single person has the opportunity, both Jew and Gentile, to enter in by faith. Not by circumcision, but by faith. Number four, grace does not give freedom to sin, but freedom from sin. Verse 17 and 18. But if we, while we seek to be justified by Christ... We ourselves also are found sinners. Is Christ therefore a minister of sin? Certainly not. For if I build again those things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. For I through the law died to the law that I might live to God. I died to the law that I might live to God. Paul teaches us something incredible here. It's profound. Please get this. Law not only brings death, or more specifically, the reality that we're already dead, but trying to fulfill the law brings compromise, a lack of motivation to do what's right, to be victorious, to fight and keep fighting. Grace gives endless zeal and motivation because we are motivated by something stronger than earning salvation from God we are motivated by love because of that which we could not earn was given freely and we love him for it it's really a profound truth when all this talk is I've really honestly guys I've meditated on this I've meditated on what causes men to fall so quickly after they leave a program? What causes men who at times were so zealous and faithful towards Christ, made evident by their, their, their membership at a church or whatever it is, uh, to fall and, and not come back into the fellowship? What causes this? I believe they are motivated by something other than grace. They are motivated by law, by earning. They're motivated by earning a place with God. It it diminishes us. 
An illustration of this would be like, you know, some of us probably have hobbies. You have a hobby or something. It's, I don't know, probably boxing here in Philly. Yes. And, And you're out and you work all day. You work all day, and you'll even tell people, hey, I gotta go to work, gotta go to work, gotta earn a paycheck. That's great, you gotta go to work. If you don't work, you don't eat. But when you say that you're going to the gym after you get done working an eight-hour job, maybe even construction, whatever it is, when you say you're going to, to box, you don't say, hey, I gotta go work. You're like, yeah, 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 I'm gonna go hit the gym and box. And boxing is way more of a workout than pounding nails. Isn't it? I mean, it is one of the most grueling exercises there is. Same thing with a, with a woman who's, maybe she's out in the workforce. She's working 40, 50 hours a week. She wakes up in the morning to get to work at 9 a.m. She tells her friends, got to go to work. Then she, she meets a guy. She decides to love him. They get married. They have kids. She has to stay home. She's not working out, uh, working out in the, the world anymore. When she wakes up at 5 a.m. or 3 a.m. or 1 a.m. To, to feed the kids or get the husband out of the house to go to work and help him, does she say she's got to go to work? No, I'm going to go take care of the baby. I'm going to go make breakfast for my husband. Whatever the case. Why? Because some transfer took place. She doesn't view serving her family as work. Why? Because she loves her family so much that she even spends more hours working for her family than she ever did. It's like 90-hour work weeks. The greatest motivator that we have in serving Christ is the motivation of love because of the free gift of salvation, the free gift of grace. And if you are waning in your service to him, stop working to earn and start working because he deserves it and you love him for what he did and for who he is. Number Last point, Christ makes us alive. Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, Christ died in vain. Why is Paul the guy? The guy who comes in, the hero of the situation. Because Paul is so filled with Christ that he acts exactly how Christ would act in this situation. You know what Peter probably, we don't get a record of it, but you know what Peter probably could say to Paul in this situation? He's like, you're behaving so much like Christ. He used to rebuke me for this stuff. You remember? Was it Matthew 16? It's, It's like, get behind me, Satan. It's like, oh, this is definitely true because you sound like him. And he is behaving like Christ. This is what Christ would do. Christ lived a life like this. John chapter 7. His brothers confront him. 
He rebukes his brothers. His brothers say, hey, you some big shot, you some big rabbi, go to Jerusalem and make yourself known. (laughs) That's where everybody goes who wants to be a big shot pastor, big shot rabbi, go to Jerusalem. Jesus says, the world does not hate you, bros. I I added that last word. The world does not hate you, but it hates me because I testify that its works are evil. He does it in John chapter 6, the crowds. He feeds 5,000 people supernaturally. Then he goes on the mountain to pray. These people are like, this guy should be our king. He is awesome. We're going to force him to be our king. And, and they, like, they, they hike around looking for him to the point where they're on the other side of the lake. <laughs> How did you get here? We saw you get, you didn't get in the boat with your disciples. It's after he walked on water. He's avoiding the crowds. And he goes out, and they, and they say to him, hey, we, we want more. We want more. He says, you did not come other than because of the loaves and the fishes. Unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, you have no part with me. And they all leave, like, gross, cannibal. The Pharisees are right. You have a demon and the crowds leave. Who knows how many? Maybe thousands, probably. He fed 5,000 of them. Notice Jesus doesn't do many things. John 6, he doesn't like, okay, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, that was, that was untactful. Shouldn't have said it. Let, let, let me rephrase that. I love you so much, I want to die for you. nothing like some of these pastors. I hear about these pastors apologizing to their congregations all the time for preaching the truth. Oh, I could have said it differently. Jesus is like, come back. He's not doing that. Please come back. Give me, give me, I need. He knows exactly what he said is the truth of the gospel and he has no apologies about it. Paul says to the Corinthian people, It is a small thing that I'm judged by you. Not that I don't care about your opinions and thoughts, but to outweigh that of how much I care about the opinions and the thoughts of the God I serve, it is such a small thing I'm judged by you. We need more pastors and men of God like Paul and Jesus Christ. John 8, he rebukes the Pharisees, calls them sons of Satan. But it's not just the enemies. He rebukes even his friends. John 16, he rebukes his disciples. He's giving them this glorious teaching in the uproom discourse. And then he says in John chapter 16, you know what? I tell you that I'm going away to be with my father. And sorrow has filled your heart. In other words, the only thing you're upset about is the very thing that concerns you And you're not even happy that though I have come down from the glory of heaven to be with you, the incarnation, there's nothing as fantastic as in fiction as the incarnation of Jesus Christ. And and yet I've been with you, I've sacrificed you, I've cared for you, I've taught you, I've healed, and I'm going to die for you. And the only thing you care about is yourself. It's a rebuke. You're not even happy for me, I get to go be reunited with my father. Also rebuking, as I mentioned earlier, Peter in Matthew chapter 16. Get behind me, Satan. You don't think of the things of God, but the things of the devil. 
Paul is behaving exactly like Jesus Christ. Why? Because he's crucified with Christ. And nevertheless, he lives, but not him. Christ lives in him. And guess what? Christ is in us. There is a desperation in the world, guys. There is a desperation in the world. I sense it. I was just at the conference in California with our leaders of this movement. I see a, I, I sense an urgency in them, a deep urgency. This amazing reality that even aged men, and I, don't, I didn't say old, I said aged, 71, 72, 73, 75, the way they're speaking, and some of them are hobbling up on stage. The way they're speaking is a a youthful man invigorated with the power of the Holy Spirit on them to go preach the gospel. Oh, sorry. (laughs) We need to be that. If you're not a man of action, then you are heaping shame on yourself not because of what you're doing that is sinful but because of what you're not doing that is right and the will of God and that is to make Christ known this is a call to action if you're not a man who regularly shares the truth of the gospel to your family friends and colleagues you need to become that man if you don't have the answers then you need to study more and give a little less time to television or as my pastor says, to television and video games. Let me end with this. Theodore Roosevelt, one of our presidents, said these words. And remember I said earlier, I don't want to be that guy who just talks about what's wrong with the world. I want to be that guy who acts. Theodore Roosevelt said this, the poorest The poorest way to face life is to face it with a sneer. There are many men who feel a kind of twisted pride and cynicism. There are many who confine themselves to the criticism what others do and they themselves dare not even attempt. There's no more unhealthy being, no man less worthy of respect than he who holds or feigns to hold an attitude of sneering disbelief towards all that is great and lofty. Whether in high achievement or through the noble effort, second achievement, it is not the critic who counts. Not where the man points to where the strong man stumbles or the doer of deeds could have done them better. But the credit belongs to the man who was actually in the arena, whose face is marred with sweat and dust and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes short again and again, for there is no effort without error and shortcoming, but who does actually strive to do the deeds, who knows great enthusiasms and great devotions, spending himself in a worthy cause, who in the end, if he succeeds, knows the triumph of high achievement, or if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly so that he will never be numbered with those cold and timid souls who neither know victory or defeat. Stop just talking about what's wrong with the world and start sharing Christ with it. They need him. Let us pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the example truly of you living in Paul. And may we continue to be men of action 
and more so for those of us who have not been acting, knowing that acting on the truth we know will invigorate us to overcome sin and backsliding. For if we commit our works to you, our thoughts will even be established. Men of action will cause victory in our lives and more importantly, cause us to go out in a blaze of Christ's glory. May we be men of action following your example. We love you and worship you. In Jesus' name I ask, amen. God bless you guys. Thank you.